the world has crisis fatigue. There are so many, and they've gone on for so long. There are political crises, cultural crises, domestic and foreign ones, and human rights crises everywhere. We feel helpless in the face of it all and worn down by the enormity. But you have a role in turning that around, hard as that may be to understand. What can you do? And which crises can you impact in a positive, hopeful way? I'm Sheila Logminas, and you're in the forum. Talk among friends or colleagues in Catholic circles, maybe your family, about a crisis in the church. They may be likely to ask, which one? And indeed, Catholic Christians have always faced times of trials, greater or lesser, but usually causing division and confusion. We've been in such a time for a while now, but what constitutes a while? How many crises are we dealing with as a church? Does one stand out among others? Joining me with answers to those questions and a fuller explanation to it all is Dr. Ralph Martin, president of Renewal Ministries, which is devoted to Catholic renewal and evangelization. Renewal Ministries sponsors The Choices We Face, a widely viewed weekly Catholic television and radio program distributed throughout the world. It's involved in a wide variety of mission work in more than 30 countries and has been so long. Dr. Ralph Martin's been around the world many times giving talks, always popular talks. He's director of graduate theology programs in evangelization and professor of theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in the Archdiocese of Detroit and author of several very consequential books on spirituality and evangelization. And also a tremendous number of articles, essays, and talks. So I don't know how he does it, but Dr. Martin is here to talk about his newest book, A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward. Dr. Martin, thank you for taking the time to be here. Thank you, Sheila. It's uh, great to be with such an accomplished journalist and writer and theologian in her own right. Uh, It's all grace. What what we all do, as we know, is whatever God wills. It's uh, here I am, Lord, I've come to do your will. Well, you've really, Ralph, as long as I've known of you, watched you on EWTN and other places, watched some of your videos on YouTube, read your materials and articles and talks, I've been amazed at what you have accomplished, but how you, Ralph, do you sense this? And I don't want to embarrass you, but how you seem clearly to have been given a prophetic voice by God to be out there in this moment in time and through all the years you have to speak what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not into titles or labels, but I just feel like I'm doing what the Lord's asking me to do. And if people want to put labels on it, they can, but, uh, I'm just really concerned about the salvation of souls. I'm concerned about the health of the church. I'm concerned that people not be misled by the the culture of lies that we're surrounded by with right now. So, yeah, I'm just trying to do, I guess, just like you're trying to do, just do what the Lord's asking us to do and hope that it helps people. Well, and it does. It helps people tremendously. So let's let's talk about... Uh, a church in crisis, pathways forward. You didn't say a church with many crises. You said a church is just sort of in a state of crisis, right? It, you know, br- break that down for listeners who don't even know about the book, haven't seen it yet, haven't opened it. They want to know, and I want them to open it. I've got the, I'll have the link online. Uh, I want them to know what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, I'd say those who follow more closely what's happening in the church know that there's a multiplicity of things that are causing a lot of problems. 
those who maybe look at things more at a distance were, were first kind of shocked by hearing about the clergy sex abuse scandal. And that kind of like really kind of made an impact and people got dis- really disturbed about it, rightfully so. And not only the, the sex abuse, but the uh, cover up. And But then a lot of other things began to happen. I would say maybe the next thing that happened that really kind of caught the popular imagination, so to speak, would be the uh, Amazon Synod with the uh, Pachamama statues. And, you know, they say that one picture is worth a thousand words. And, you know, even though there were some explanations eventually given that this really wasn't idolatry and et cetera, et cetera, the average Catholic is kind of shook up saying, what's going on in Rome? I, I would say even the latest thing from the last couple of days, the, uh, the new nativity scene in Rome has caused a lot of consternation amongst people saying, gee, I feel like something's strange about that. Something's, something's off spiritually, you know? So there's just been a lot of things. And then of course, there's been a lot of uh, confusion about sometimes what Pope Francis means about different things. And there was the uh, synods on the family and uh, a lot of controversy after that about what exactly the final document means. Is the Pope saying that people who get married and divorced and then remarried without an annulment can receive communion anyway or not? And, then we have like open conflict between cardinals and bishops and between whole bishops conferences like Cardinal Zen just a few weeks ago called Cardinal Parolin, who's the secretary of state, a liar. Uh, Bishop Daly in uh, Washington, uh, you know, called another American bishop kind of like a bad name. And, uh, and then you have the German bishops conference who are saying, well, we really need to make an accommodation with the secular culture. You know, uh, people are drifting away from the church, so we need to really downplay our teaching on marriage and family life and, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of maybe give blessings to uh, homosexual couples and various things like that. And then, of course, you have the bishops' conferences in Poland and Ukraine saying, wait a second, Germany, what you're doing is weakening the faith of our people, and it's departing from the teaching of the church. And so we just got a lot of uh, a lot of conflict, a lot of uh, confusion, and in our own country, uh, in the United States, uh, there's an increasing polarization. Um, people who are very disturbed about what's happening in Rome are very disturbed about these developments, or sometimes they're reacting in a very negative way, kind of questioning Vatican II, uh, questioning the legitimacy of, of the uh, ordinary mass that most of us go to, the Novus Ordo. And so there's even some hatred and hostility developing. You know, I've done some interviews recently, and <clears throat> when you read the comments, sometimes people are so angry that I've defended mm-hmm. Vatican II or, you know, uh, you know that, that, that they'll, you know, they'll call the Pope an antichrist. They'll, they'll, they'll say that anybody who goes to the Novus Ordo is going to a Protestant right, you know, I mean, so there's just a lot of uh, a lot of pressure right now in the world with COVID and a lot of confusion in the church and uh, a lot of division even amongst American bishops that we saw over the the recent election. Mm. Uh, Archbishop Chaput just pretty much said what Cardinal Gregory did by saying he was going to give communion to President-elect Biden uh, is really bad. <laughs> you know, so you have you have a lot of uh, a lot of disunity breaking out into the open. It certainly is. And Ralph, I had um, a while back, I had Springfield, Illinois, Bishop uh, Thomas Paprocki. I'm the show's good friend, longtime good friend. And I had him on the show back when he was, he, he had put out 
uh, I don't know, it wasn't in the form of a pastoral letter, but a statement on, on the Springfield, uh, Illinois Diocese web page about, and also directly talking to one of the Illinois state senators, Catholic, but who very much stands uh, for all of the, th the things we, were, we worry about, and, and also in President-elect Biden, and that is for the, you know, defending and upholding and all that, the, the right so-called to abortion on demand all the way through. And state of Illinois has an extremely draconian uh, law. It's just the same as New York's. When Governor Cuomo passed that, the state of Illinois' governor passed one here. And uh, it's, you know, the reproductive action, no reproduction and all that. And they don't even address how dangerous this is for women, but it's immoral and it's for teaching of the church. And so what, what Bishop Rocky did is just, it's, it's again, as many people don't understand, Dr. Martin, that Catholics who are even as far as excommunicated, it's not that they are by a bishop. They excommunicate themselves. And those asked not to present for communion, that's not a punishment by a bishop. It's that you've taken yourself out of that um, a right or you know, to present yourself without cause for scandal by upholding very publicly. And you, know, you can say on the one hand, and what people do, we never know when they've been to confession, what their conscience says and so forth. But when we see them standing in a very public office time and again against things that the church teaches very strongly about on human life and liberty and freedoms and vulnerable, vulnerable peoples, then that then that that got a lot of uh, well, uh, people happy and a lot of blowback. So what are our bishops to do? To your point, which is so you say there is a division among Catholics in the pews, but division among our bishops. Do you think that's gotten worse? And in over what period of time? Oh, I think it's definitely gotten worse, and I think that it looked like for a good number of years the uh, confusion after Vatican II was being resolved. You know, there was a synod of bishops 20 years after the end of the council that tried to resolve kind of how to interpret the council. And that's where Cardinal Ratzinger came up with the hermeneutic of continuity, that any ambiguity needs to be interpreted in harmony with the tradition. And it looked like the, the pontificates of John Paul II and Benedict XVI had settled a lot of the confusion about liberation theology and sexual morality and things like that. But then uh, in recent years, uh, under the pontificate of Pope Francis, it seems like a lot of these things that were underground feel free to come out. And we're seeing some of the same challenges to sexual morality. We're seeing this, some of the same emphasis on improving this world as the main mission of the church that we saw in liberation theology. And this is causing division amongst bishops. You know, there's bishops who you might say, feel like uh, Vatican II didn't go far enough. You know, let's really push it further. There's others saying, oh, wait a second. We have to be careful to keep in harmony with scripture, tradition, the catechism of the Catholic Church. So it's, uh, it's getting difficult. It's getting difficult to ignore that the serious divisions in the church. Uh, and you can't, we can't as Christians, Catholic Christians, ignore what's going on in the church. It's right in front of us. It's in the culture. We see it in headlines. It's mm -hmm. interesting now with a president-elect who, you know, not only is Catholic, but talks about and talked about before the election, saying the rosary every evening. It's just so hard to fathom how um, someone who does, in Nancy Pelosi and other Catholics in high places all the way back for a long time, Ted Kennedy or so many others, uh, could, could be that and, and say that and at the same time hold 
uh, antithetical views, right? To the not just antithetical, but they really know what the church teaches about abortion and the gravity of abortion. That's not a, a negotiable. In fact, my book is non-negotiable for a reason. That's what the bishops say in mm-hmm. forming consciences for faithful citizenship, living the gospel mm-hmm. of life, and so on. So this is not negotiable, and yet it seems. Dr. Martin, like a lot of things these days seem to people negotiable, even like, you know, personal pronouns for people, gender, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, speech laws on campuses and where yeah. does it stop? So yeah. we see ourselves in the midst of that. And yet we we're called not to head to the hills, but to be squarely in the middle of, uh, of the arena of ideas. Yeah, I actually uh, been trying to think about where we are as renewal ministries and as a seminary. And I would say we're neither left nor right. But we're also not a lukewarm center. We're not triangulating for a moderate position. We're in the radical center. We're in the mm-hmm. zealous center of as complete faithfulness to Jesus and his revelation and his message as we possibly can as it comes to us in the church. And uh, so we're, we're in the radical center. And I, I, there's not a lot of people left in the radical center right now. So I'm hoping for some more reinforcements to arrive uh, just to be in the very center of, of what's revealed to us, you know, by Christ and the church and all that. Well, you know, in the book, you know, I, I felt like I needed to be honest in actually laying out the depth of the problems because mm-hmm. there's a lot of false optimism in the church saying everything's okay and everything isn't okay. And people actually, you know, the book's only been out for a couple of months and people are telling me they appreciate that I'm being honest about the situation and it's actually helped them to kind of get free of the confusion. They say, yeah, there's really bad things happening. Okay. I get it. But in chapter two, I I titled it, is there a solid place to stand? That's what I'm trying to do is while diagnosing the problems, also making really clear that there is a solid place to stand, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that, Scripture is a reliable source of truth for us as it comes to us in the tradition, as we find it in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And so in chapter after chapter, I identify the problems, but I also reaffirm the fact that there's clarity about these things and we need to be clear ourselves. And then, you know, of course, the first six chapters are devoted to the problems. and The last seven chapters are devoted to how we can move forward in a positive way. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do in the book. And I wanted to, I'm glad you said that because I wanted to, that was going to be the next thing I, I mentioned anyway, so that listeners can know that, that it is kind of divided into your book without a clear separation. It's you, you take people through the first half of the book being, you know, really the problems, the, the crises or the, the crisis, the church and crisis pathways forward. So in the, the beginning chapters, the first half of it, it's an analysis of that with the, in the, in the confusion and the division going on in our church seems like ever was it thus, but it's, you know, it takes on new forms and new times and certainly now, and you argue in there how comprehensive this is in the first half laying out. It's really three parts, right? Dr. Martin, ecclesial, um, moral dimensions and doctrinal. And those Mm -hmm. three are interdependent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything's under attack. I would say the the first priority for us is to recover our confidence in, in revelation, recover our confidence in sacred scripture. And a lot of Catholics haven't really heard how the Catholics, Catholic church intends us to take sacred scripture. Like in Vatican II in the constitution on sacred revelation in section 11, it says everything asserted by the sacred authors should be considered to be asserted by the Holy spirit to teach faithfully, firmly, and without error 
those truths that God wished to consign to the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. So, you know, there's some scripture passages that are really hard to understand, but there are tons of them that are absolutely crystal clear, particularly in these areas of confusion we're talking about right now. For example, in sexual morality, marriage and family life, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you. The immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to specify what serious sins can keep us out of the kingdom of God. Fornication, adultery, persons who engage in the active practice of homosexuality, or thieves, robbers, sorcerers, drunkards, idolaters, and, and there's many lists like this in scripture. And Paul says, you know, don't let anybody deceive you. These are grave sins in the face of God, and they'll keep you out of the kingdom of God unless you repent. Or like in Galatians chapter 5, Paul goes through a very similar list. He adds things like division, enmity, party spirit, not like party time, but mm-hmm. dividing into parties, which, which we're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of God. Or Ephesians chapter 5, you know, Paul says, the impure person will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. And because of this, the wrath of God is breaking out against the world. Or Revelations chapter 20, Cardinal Cantalamesa just preached on this for his first Sunday Advent sermon. And he said, you know, uh, physical death is a passageway for the Christian to eternal life. But for somebody who dies in mortal sin, dies unrepentant in these grave sins, physical death becomes an entranceway to the second death, which is hell. And he says we need to reemphasize again the bottom line here, that the only solution for sin and for death is, is Jesus Christ, and that faith in him is really the important thing. He says evangel- Europe was originally evangelized by being clear about this, and we need to really get back to the basics again in our mission and evangelization. Oh, amen. I mean, this is, this, this, but Ratzinger, before he became Pope Benedict, was writing a lot about the mission of evangelization. And, and I, I've done many, going way back, longer than I'd want to tell you, in talks I've given in women's retreats or talks to, you know, men, women in their parishes and uh, way back. I, I cited something in particular from the new evangelization. I think it was simply called that, Dr. Martin, by um, then Cardinal Ratzinger. When he talked about, he was asked a question in an interview about, is, wasn't he worried way back then about all the people leaving the church? And he, in his very gentle way, he said, what? I mean, of course, yeah, I, wor- I don't like this. And of course, I, you know, I'm not going to worry about this. He said, but I don't like this. He said, however, and this is what stuck with me, and I say it time and again. He said that, that in the small communities of faith that remain are found the seeds of the future of the world. And I always thought how that we've got to hang on to that. That that's your renewal ministries. The mm-hmm. seeds of the future of the world are in the small communities of faith. You can call that our parishes. Our parishes are the small uh, small communities of faith. But you can also call it the organizations out there. So you you talk in the book, Doctor Martin. And if the again, I just want to repeat, the book is a church in crisis: pathways forward. And you say in the book, gosh, where where do I you know which page I've flagged do I go to? But I, I noticed this. You you say that, so we talk doctrinal issues, moral, uh, ecclesial, that 
the doctrinal crisis of the in the church is that you call it the the and I want to focus on this. You want you to hear? I want to hear you what you have to say. Is the question of revelation the doctrinal crisis of the church? Is the question quote question of revelation? You you ask the question rhetorically. Has God revealed Himself? If so, how can we have access to what He reveals? If we can have access to what He reveals. How can we discern true development from false development and our understanding of the truths of faith? Considering where we are now, especially with young adults uh, being more unaffiliated than before, which, can you answer your own question? Sure. Well, you know, part of the problem is that there have been a lot of half-baked scripture courses that have been given where people who have a little knowledge of scripture, sometimes a lot of knowledge of scripture, will say things like, we don't really know if Jesus really said this, and this was all shaped by the uh, gospel writers. We don't really know who they were. Uh, you know, we don't really know how we should take this. And then this hasn't helped at all, because recently the head of the Jesuit order in Rome recently said, when people are asking him about the debate and controversy about marriage and divorce, people getting the Eucharist uh, without getting an annulment, the head of the Jesuits said, well, you know, how do we really know what Jesus said? Was anybody there with a tape recorder? So what this does is just so skepticism about the ability to know what God is revealing to us through Jesus and through sacred scripture. And so uh, that's why, like I said, the second chapter is devoted to, is there a solid place to stand? And, you know, at the uh, Synod on Evangelization, I, I was a theologian at it in 2012. The opening statement by the Cardinal in charge said, the number one priority for us as a church is to recover our confidence in the truth of our faith. And that really starts with recovering our confidence in the truthfulness and reliability of sacred scripture mm -hmm. as it's been understood by the church throughout the ages. And as we, as is expressed today in the catechism of the Catholic church, everything I say in the book about the truth of the faith is found in the catechism of the Catholic church. It's not outmoded. It's contemporary. It's real. It's true. It's relevant. And you point, I love that you point in the book, Dr. Martin, too, and, and you affirm it, Dei Verbum, the you know, Word of God, because mm -hmm. you directly address it through that. And I, I know that's something that other writers lately have been, I think um, my friend George Weigel has been doing that in his writing and certainly on my show talking about Dei Verbum and its importance. Mm -hmm. You can look back to any number of documents in Vatican II, uh, different encyclicals, different writings of John Paul Benedict. I mean, you can point to anything, but he points to, and many do, Dei Verbum, Word of God. And, and the statement that, and in your book, you affirm that, and you, you, this is a quote directly from your book, that God's plan of revelation is realized by deeds and words having an inner unity. So, you know, God has given us a revelation. It's inseparable uh, and, and in word and deed, and it's bound, it's all bound up together, the word and deed, because neither one, I love this, is complete without the other, the words and the deeds. So mm -hmm. Dei Verbum is just one place for people to read and point, and, and, and they can read your book and find out about that without going right to Dei Verbum to find out about, well, what's the answer to this question? Did God reveal himself? Did God reveal mm -hmm. truth? Mm -hmm. and I think that's a good way to start evangelizing some of the people who have drifted away, some of the young people who have no Christian formation. In, in conversations with people like that, I say, you know, if there is a God, and he has revealed what his plan is for us. Don't you think it'd be worthwhile trying to find out what that is? 
you know, just to get yeah. them started on the search type of thing, or even about believing in God, you know, if there is a God, don't you think it'd be really relevant to find out, you know, if there is one or not, and what he desires for the human race. And that's all encourage people to say, start praying, Lord, if you're real, show yourself to me. And that, that opens their heart to the Lord showing himself to them, you know? So yeah, that's where it all starts. If there is a God, what's he saying? You know, what's he revealing? Why did, why has he created us? What's the purpose of our life? And, and so that's Dave Urbum, and that is revelation that addresses divine revelation as Dr. Ralph Martin does. And again, in the first six chapters, um, that lays out the crisis in the church. And I, I like the chapter titles very much. Is anyone responsible? I mean, do people shirk responsibility all over yeah. the place these days? And that, that really got me that title. Good yeah. one. And then, yeah. um, and then under part two, pathways forward, that's what we really want. That's the good news. And among the other good news is that there are pathways forward. This isn't just wring your hands and head for the hills. So pathways forward, it starts with seeing and not seeing. Is that a choice? Well, you know, I think there's huge resistances amongst people to looking at the truth about our situation. It, 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 it truly is difficult. Like every year, the statistics show that fewer and fewer Catholics believe fewer and fewer things that the church teaches. You know, the, those Pew surveys and Gallup polls about what Catholics believe, it's kind of shocking, kind of distressing. And then, of course, the decline in church attendance, you know, the, the closing of Catholic parishes, the closing of Catholic schools, uh, mm -hmm. the bankruptcy of dioceses. This is pretty pretty like it's it's more than the canary in the coal mine it's the poison gas that's really spreading you know and so people have to face reality in order to come before the lord with the kind of heartfelt responses that are necessary to begin to turn away from the sickness so that's why the next chapter is called the time for repentance and uh you know us catholics have been affected in many, many ways by the thinking of the world we've been uh, affected by the culture, we've been intimidated, we've been shaken in our faith, we've made maybe compromises in our own lives. So we need to examine our own lives and see, are we living in fidelity to who Jesus really is, the real Jesus and the real revelation that he reveals to us? Uh, and then we also have to do it as, as a community, as a church. And you know, in that chapter, I talk about what the Archdiocese of Detroit did, where the Archbishop realizes that Archbishop Vigneron, who's now the Vice President of the uh, Bishops' Conference in the United States, he he recognized that Detroit's in serious trouble. We've gone from like 400 parishes to 200, and we, we've closed so many schools. And this yeah. is true of many of the traditional Catholic dioceses. And he says, you know, I got to change the DNA of the Archdiocese to a DNA of evangelization. But before we do that, we have to honestly come before the Lord and repent for the things we've done and the things we haven't done that have led us into this very serious decline. So we had this very solemn liturgy of repentance, which was very extensive. And I go through all the areas that, that he repented for on behalf of the church in uh, Detroit, including allowing false teaching to go on for many years in the archdiocese and, and undermine people's faith in, in, in the Lord and their moral lives. And, uh, racism, which has been a real problem in Detroit, and uh, real racism that has been amongst, uh, you know, Catholic parishes and things like that. So uh, repentance is a very important part of the whole thing. It's very fitting to talk about it on Advent because, you know, John the Baptist's opening words, you know, you brood of vipers, who, who, who warned you to repent? 
you know, from the wrath that's coming, you know, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming? In fact, I just did a YouTube video on fleeing from the wrath that's coming on our YouTube channel. And it's already got like 74,000 views in just oh, about wow. three, three or four days. And so if people want to go to, uh, just put it into their, your search, uh, YouTube, Renewal Ministries, Ralph Martin or something like that, you can get our YouTube channel. We, we do new videos every week and we try to encourage and strengthen people in the faith. So, but anyway, this repentance is really, really important. It's, it's really the theme of Advent. So John the Baptist goes on to say, uh, hey, you, you say you're repenting, you're getting baptized, but show me the fruits of repentance. Show me the change in your life. You know, stop extorting, stop stealing, stop oppressing. Show me the change in your life. So in the chapter, even though I really honor the Archdiocese of Detroit for their very serious efforts at turning towards uh, evangelization and repenting, uh, I, I put in a little word there saying, let's keep showing the fruits of repentance. Let's not just make it a ceremony that we did a couple of years ago, but let's keep examining our conscience. Let's make sure that we're living before the Lord with the zeal, with the fervor, with the fidelity that's really necessary in order to be real disciples of Jesus. And right after, so the signs of the times pointing toward judgment, right after that chapter, chapter 10 in the pathway forward, pathways forward, is what you just said, the time for a time for repentance. I mean, that's biblical and scriptural all over the place. You know, you come to look at how, how, how when people, my gosh, so, so throughout the Old Testament, especially when people repented, you, you know, you go, you're after the heart of God. You, you, you want yeah. him to see that you've repented. And he does in the scripture. It's just so beautiful to know that. But then, um, Dr. Martin, that's chapter 11, chapter 12, right after this. So after a time for repentance, which really does begin conversion, major conversion, repentance does, is it you wrote your chapter is a time for action. People yeah. would probably wonder, okay, what's the first action I should take? Well, the first action is attending to our own lives and making sure that we're right with the Lord and we're living uh, in, in a way that we're alive and awake to him, that we have daily prayer, that we're meditating on the word of God, we're doing spiritual reading, we're growing in love, we're uh, on, on this path of uh, a spiritual journey. Uh, I'm doing a four-week four seri four uh, series here in Advent live each Sunday night at eight o'clock on another book I wrote called The Fulfillment of All Desire, uh, which is about the stages of spiritual life. And I'm encouraging people to actually set out on the spiritual journey. You really are called to be holy. That, in fact, the only reason why God created us is to be one with him forever. So that means we've got to be holy like he is holy. And that means we've got to really be serious about the spiritual life. We really got to open ourselves up to the grace of God. And uh, we had over 5,000 people register for it. And then oh, wow. we put it on YouTube the day after the Sunday, like we just put it on from yesterday. But the first Sunday's, views are up to 30,000 already. So there's just a hunger amongst people for spiritual life. And the second Sundays, you know, 20,000 people have looked at it already and we expect it just to keep going like that. So people just really need to set out seriously on the spiritual journey. But, but, but another thing is they shouldn't be passive about oh, no. junk that they're seeing in their parishes, for example. Like if they, if they hear something in a sermon that, that isn't leading people to Christ, isn't what the church teaches, they should humbly and respectfully go to the priest or the deacon and say, you know, Hey father or deacon, you know, you know what you said there in a, in a sermon today or last week, whatever, uh, it didn't sound like that's what the church really teaches. And uh, we have to be 
we have to understand we might have not heard them right. We may not be interpreted right. It may not have intended it. And if they respond positively, like, oh, no, I didn't really mean to say that. And uh, you, do you think I need to clarify that? You know, you might say, yes, I think you do need to clarify that. Or the person might just blow us off. The priest or deacon might just say, well, you know what? I think the church has got to change in this area. And that's tough. You know, that's what, that's mm -hmm. what I'm teaching. Well, then we have a responsibility to go to the bishop. You know, uh, this is not just kind of getting answers right on a test or being legalistic or checking off the boxes. This is about people's eternal destinies. This is about the salvation mm -hmm. of souls. So we should go to the bishop. Now, I, I warn lay people, uh, the bishop isn't going to be happy to hear from you. <laughs> you know, he doesn't want right. to hear about any more problems, right? He doesn't want to doesn't want to hear the enemy's priest of any problems. And I was talking to a bishop once about some bad things that were going on in a parish. And he said, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, that's, that's serious. But you know what? Uh, I've only got so many priests that you either got to have a bad priest or no priest. Well, I, I don't agree with that. You know, if, if we have to merge parishes, if we have to have mass in a stadium uh, because we have so few good priests, that's what we should do because we can't allow people's faith and moral life to be undermined. Amen. Well, Dr. Ralph Martin, in your book, the Church in, A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward, really covers a lot of this. And all the way down to that point towards the end of the book, I mean, the very final chapter, the inexhaustible riches of yeah. Jesus. I love that. Participating yeah. in the prophetic mission of Jesus. That's We have no less a call than that. I mean, I know Pope Benedict XVI appointed you as a consultor to the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization, and you currently serve there. There's no no end to that. I mean, that doesn't end. There's no end point yeah. to us needing to be out there evangelizing in, yeah. in, in, in word, in deed, in our very presence to yeah. others, and especially this culture so hungry right now yeah. for that. Whether they, no matter how people react to you, you are, your mission is to be out there doing that. Yeah, I'm so glad we got to the last chapter because it's my favorite chapter. It's titled uh -huh. The Inexhaustible Riches of Christ. And honestly, we had a saying in the Curcio movement when I was involved in that, and it said, Christ and I are an overwhelming majority. Oh. We, we don't have to be depressed. We don't have to be anxious because Jesus is the Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's powerful. He's, gonna, he's won the victory. He's going to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And he's, he's giving everybody a chance to be reconciled with God and to end up in heaven rather than hell. And we have the tremendous privilege of knowing him, of knowing the truth of ourselves, being in right relationship with God and doing everything we can through our witness, our word, our prayer, our fasting to help other people turn their lives over to him as well. So uh, truly there are inexhaustible riches in Christ that we could proceed in the midst of joy, even in the midst of this confusion. We, and we can. I mean, the world is uh, is notably uh, devoid of, uh, or at least an abundance of joy. It's not completely joyless, but there are so far fewer people who have joy, and yeah. they are so direly, desperately in need of joy, not yeah. just in this season, but it, but always. And it's been a really rough year. But you know, again, who knows what next year will hold? We only have the moment. And I love how, mm -hmm. how St. Paul put it, Ralph. When it, while it is still today, I've always loved that. Yeah. While yeah. it is still today. That means yep. you have the, the 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 ability right now to make the moment this moment that's best to, to do something right now. I hate to waste time, and I think, why am I doing this idle thing when I really ought to be helping build up the kingdom in whatever way God puts in front of me? So yeah, while yeah. we while it is still today, 
we have the prophetic mission of Jesus and he gives us inexhaustible riches. Dr. Ralph Martin's book tells you that. I love the book, Ralph. So thank you for writing it. And thank you for talking with me about it and all the listeners out there. I've got the link posted and I just really urge people to get this and have it time and again at hand to pull off your shelf, to keep it on your desk in front of you, to keep it on your, your table, uh, your nightstand or whatever, and go back and refer to your favorite parts, underline it, highlight it. I do that. It's going to teach you and it's going to give you a sense of mission, but a new sense of hope. And we all need that. Dr. Martin, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Sheila, for uh, having me on and thank you for all that you do. God bless you and yours, and I hope you stay healthy and well. You too. And the same wish to each of you joining us for this conversation, for blessings in every good thing. Thanks for being here. Please share the link with others and invite them to join us next time here in the forum. (laughs) 